With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. WQAD Podcast Network. Movers and shakers leading businesses, nonprofits, governments, and schools across the Quad City area, Illinois, and Iowa. How did they get started? What is their story? Their goals? Their advice for the next generation of the girl power movement? And now, here's your host for Wonder Women, News 8's Angie Sharp. Powerful women, powerful positions. Welcome to the Wonder Woman podcast, a show dedicated to showing off our girl bosses. And I've got another great one joining me. My guest is Sarah Stevens, the founder of The Beautiful Project. Thank mm. you for joining me today, Sarah. Thank you for asking. So I'm so excited to learn about this passion project of yours. So tell us how The Beautiful Project started. And I want to make sure, since this is a listening podcast, yeah. beautiful is F-U-L-L. Correct. And that's very important, obviously, to it what is. you've been doing. So tell us all about this. Sure. It's an invitation to be full, which is largely why it's spelled that way, right? So The Beautiful Project is a storytelling collective that invites women back to their bodies and into a world where we belong with substance and with strength. Um, the origin story is probably one of the more important parts. So um, I have navigated most of my life in a large body, and I have spent most of my life trying to change that. Um, because it is a general cultural expectation, I think, for women that not only are we small in stature, but maybe also small in voice and emotion and presence and impact. But for many of us, that translates into, I need to shrink in order to fit. So that was very much my narrative for my entire life, until in my late 30s. Um, if I look back, there was a lot happening at the time to bring me to, to this particular moment, right? Like any good founding story, there are a lot of things happening at one time. But the story itself is that I had gone to see a physician who was actually a friend of mine. Um, I had run her clinic in my in my past career. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and often for people in large bodies, when they're with a physician, they're often not believed. So it's, it's not uncommon, right? So I can, I can present to a doctor and say, I have this going on and my weight is always used as the explanation. And if I try to talk about that, um, uh, people in large bodies are often not believed when it mm -hmm. comes to diet and movement. So I came to this appointment open and receptive because she believes me. Mm -hmm. So I had gone, weighed, and I hadn't been weighing myself. I'd actually been listening to some other people who had sort of had this body awakening. And I was starting to consider the possibility that maybe my entire life didn't have to be about changing my body. <laughs> but I wasn't sure yet, right? right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I had a lot of practice that way. Mm -hmm. And so I go to this appointment, and I've gained weight. And we talk about that because I had been doing all sorts of other things to try to make it go the opposite direction. And she said, you know, honestly, after this lifetime of restrictive eating and your thyroid issues, you're very likely going to not be able to lose weight without serious intervention. She said, the good news is I can intervene. 
I'll prescribe some speed for you, some amphetamines. Oh. Yeah, which is like legal and yeah, a fairly sure. normal course of treatment. <clears throat> right. I, and I remember having this moment, like, uh, well, two things happened. The first thing that happened for me was that a part of me was like, oh, there might be something to fix me. Right. As easy as a pill. Uh, just give me that. Mm -hmm. And then, the, then there was this other resistance, this other voice that was like, is that really... Is that really what I want to choose? So I asked her some questions about, would that be sustainable? And how would that impact me over time? And she said, well, you're going to have to come in for quarterly liver and kidney function tests with a currently functioning kidneys and liver, yeah. right? And again, I want to be clear that I think she was giving me the advice that she sincerely believed would help me, and it was what she had available to her. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I went to my car with this prescription for speed in my hands, and I thought about... Um, I thought about filling it, first of all, for the solution. But then I thought about my daughter, who at the time was 15. And right now my daughter looks the way the world wants her to look. Mm. But she might not always. And I thought about her sitting in her car with a prescription for speed in her hands and whether or not I'd want her to take it. And the answer was clear. There's no way I'd want her yeah. to take it. And so I realized in that moment that I needed to tell a different story about bodies, about beauty, and about belonging, if I wanted her to believe a different story. And I also realized that my voice alone wouldn't be enough, mm -hmm. that I would need a chorus of courage with me mm -hmm. to speak to her and to sing to her and to shout to her, and not just her, but all of our daughters and all of us and all of our mothers where we got these stories from, yeah. right? Yeah. And so really in that moment, the beautiful project was born. Wow. Yeah. In a car. In a car with a prescription for, for speed, speed in my hands. <laughs> like is this wow. the moment, you know? And so it was a crossroads where I decided to get off the train, mm -hmm. completely off the train of living a life that was entirely about shrinking. Because mm -hmm. that was the reality you grew up in. Always. Was, this is the reality that's created Always, always. I found over the last two years too that regardless of body size, every woman has a similar experience of, um, somehow knowing that they needed to be different in order to fit. Mm -hmm. In fact, in our first, um, so the, the project itself is a storytelling collective. It has three platforms, um, but there's a podcast that's a part of that. In the first season, I asked women as the opening question, tell me about the first time you realized that your body was different from other bodies. Every woman had a story. Not one of them was positive. Wow. Right. And then we would just unravel their stories from there. Mm -hmm. And over and over and over, it, it became clear that it ended up not just being about their bodies, but circling back to that idea of then they start shrinking their voice and their contribution because they think they need to be smaller everywhere. Yeah. And, and I want the opposite reality for women. Take up space. Take up space, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Well, and you wonder, like, if so many of these people, these women have this, this reality, this distorted reality, what is real? Oh, if, right. If everybody at that first sitting yep. of a recording all had a negative experience or a negative story to tell, then what is the, where is the positive? It wasn't like one in 10. No, it was every it was one every of them. Every single one of them. So uh, one of the, the things that I'll say often when I speak publicly about this, um, I'll talk about being in college and I had this one professor who was terrible and 
the entire class would fail tests over and over and over. When an entire class fails a test, is the problem with the people? Right. Or is the problem with the teacher or the, the system? Yeah. Yes, the authority, yes. the voice that's telling you yeah. this is this is what's real. Right. So in a situation where it's everybody, then the problem is in the system. Mm -hmm. And it takes the people who are who are saturated in that system though to say, I've had enough. Right. I'm done. Mm -hmm. And for me how that translates is is that I'm done, I'm done in diet culture, I'm done in everything about diet culture. Sometimes people will hear that and, and they really wanna challenge the health perspective. Um, and we don't have enough time on this podcast <laughs> to dig under that right. question. Yeah. But I would encourage people to consider uh, their own set of beliefs about what they can determine about a person's health from their weight. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because exactly. it's actually nothing. Because you have made big choice, like enormous and choices in your life absolutely yeah, you don't drink alcohol at all and aren't you a vegetarian I was for a couple okay, of for years, couple of years yeah. yeah I was a vegan for a couple of vegan, years yeah. I've always um I've always wanted to do right by my body mm -hmm. and actually all of that misguided restriction and all of that was really a response to that desire to be good to my body I just had been taught that the way to do it was to shrink right Right. So that's all that's shifted. It doesn't mean that I'm, um, in fact, this past week was End Weight Stigma Week uh, from the National Eating Disorder Association. So across multiple social platforms, um, there was a lot of information about weight stigma and, and the way that people assume certain things about people in large bodies. Mm -hmm. It was strange for me because I saw all of that, but it was almost like it hyper-focused my awareness onto all of the weight stigma that I see everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, I saw a post last week about uh, there was this, it was a caption on an Instagram um, post that said that obese people tend not to get outside. Uh, Based what? on what? What? <laughs> what sort of fact is that? Yeah, right. You know? So it's things like that that are just um, subtly dropped in our culture constantly mm -hmm. yep. that create a bias about, about what we think we can determine about what a person in a large body is doing with their life. Mm -hmm. And you know nothing. Right. You know nothing about a person based on their size. No, not at all. You you practice yoga. Constantly, I mean, you, do, yes. you know, like you, you are probably more in tune with your body mm. than what we would see, you know, like what the stereotype is. Totally. Right? You know what I mean? Like there are some yes. people that, like you were just talking about eating disorder week, that have a really, really distorted reality about Correct. what their body is and what they see in the mirror, mm -hmm. so much that they aren't listening to their body. Well, and you bring up really kind of where I've landed now, which is I'm not interested in an external determinant of whether or not I'm doing right by my body. The, it is entirely about now being cued into what my body needs. Mm -hmm. Now, after 40 years <laughs> of believing that I can regulate my appetite by way of a points system or counting macros or any of the things that I've done, um, it takes a minute to unlearn that. Right. Of course. Yeah. Of course. So I discovered that I was really disconnected from from my cues of hunger and being full, and and I think that's true for so many women. Yeah. I don't know that we give ourselves permission to be full. We usually then excuse it as like I have to make up for that. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Like I've got to hit the gym to make up for yes. the sense of fullness. Right. I think that's crazy. Yeah. Fullness should be. A good feeling, a yeah. beautiful feeling. That's Agreed. Where beautiful comes from. Exactly. That's great. Yep. So you said that the podcast is one form of that. Correct. Of the three platforms. What yes. are the other two? So um, 
we have a blog where I, I'm a writer actually in my core. That's who mm -hmm. I am. I love to write. I love to use words to help people see themselves in their own reality. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a blog and I write about 60% of it, but guest contribution is critical to me because when I talked about um, forming this chorus of courage, a chorus requires an enormous number of voices, it's right? It's a chorus, <laughs> right? Solo, it's ex exactly <laughs> that is exactly <laughs> it. And sometimes um, I get a little uncomfortable when I get the bulk of the attention, uh, which sure. is normal for a founder. I yeah. understand that, right? But I never ever want us to lose the reality that every voice in this chorus is what makes it sing. Mm -hmm. You yes, know, of course. So the blog has some guest contributions. Um, and then the third component is one that actually hasn't ever really taken off, which has surprised me. Mm -hmm. So we'll figure out what we're going <laughs> to do with it. But um, they were called the love letters. And the idea was that mothers could write letters to their daughters' bodies, oh, love letters to yeah. their daughters' bodies. Wow. Because what I was really working to do was to acknowledge that these stories, these shrinking stories, we get them from somewhere mm -hmm. and our moms got them from somewhere, yeah. right? Yeah. So part of how I think we shift that narrative is to tell our daughters different stories about their bodies. Yes. And then they can tell their daughters different stories about their bodies. What I found, here's what I think the, the, the barrier is to that. In order to be able to write a love letter to your daughter's body, you have to have ha had some sense of loving your own. Right. Yeah, you can't write the love letter if you don't love yourself nope. first. And so I think that's why it has never really become what I can envision it. But that doesn't mean we're not still going to hold space for it. Yeah. Because then what we can do is bring people along um, in their own healing journey and hopefully bring them to a place that that love letter is accessible to them. Right. So we'll just keep space for that. Mm -hmm. We want to launch a fourth platform called The Gallery, um, sort of Humans of New York-ish. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. Sure. So ordinary people, yep. right? Uh, where it's a short sort of journalistic documentary question that a person can answer. I haven't quite gotten to the question yet, but I have the <laughs> photographer who's willing to do it. I just think there's... I think there's so much wisdom in the ordinary experience, mm -hmm. which is why my podcast has never been intended to invite anybody in a celebrity position to the microphone. My, my thing is ordinary women, extraordinary truth. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Because that's really what's happening. There is this common genius that is n anything but common. Mm -hmm. um, so the gallery, I think, will launch in the next year. Cool. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And we just also started live events. Yes, um, I'm really excited to hear more about this. Oh, they're yeah. so cool. So the, the name came to me, the full circle, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of it coming full circle yeah. and then full circle. Okay, you're getting <laughs> you're all so of good. it? You're great. I love it. <laughs> I love Branding it. 101. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I like to connect all the dots, yeah. right? So one of the things that we discovered is that women were um, being profoundly impacted by the content. And they would write to me and say things like, uh, that blog post cracked me open mm -hmm. or completely, or that podcast completely changed the way that I understand this particular experience. But then they would say things like, and now I don't know what to do. Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. Totally like fair. I wanna, or I want to talk to some people yes, about it. Yes, yeah. exactly. And they don't want to do it on public social platforms, which sure. is where we're existing primarily is online. So what we determined is that at least we could make space for these women to show up in the same place mm -hmm. once a month. Um, and we're still, you know, like any good startup or new idea, we're working out the details with that. Um, but it's been extraordinary. In fact, it's it's funny as a founder. So I dropped the first event. I dropped one Facebook event. And I was like, 
if I get five people, <laughs> I'm going to be happy. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the people who were at that first event can actually testify to this. We had almost 30 women there in wow. that first event, and it was just one hour of conversation. I wasn't giving them cocktails. No, right. I didn't feed them dinner. Yeah, there was not really an incentive. No incentive. Come except for the fact that you wanted to create the space and they wanted to be exactly. there. Exactly, yeah. And they were amazing. So what we've been talking about is building body trust mm -hmm. because we don't know how to do that. We're not taught... When are we taught to build trust in our bodies? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, have you ever been taught to no. build trust in your body? No. I mean, like, I think about, like, training for something, yeah. right? That's kind of think the closest I would be yep. to tr building trust with my body. Training for softball, training for dance. Right. Training, like, but that's to train to change exactly. your body to be. Right. It's not to hear it. No, not to hear it. Right. 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 So for the first one, we tackled... Um, the first one was eat like you don't have to earn it. The idea uh -huh. that we don't have to earn our food. Because, yeah. I mean, think about saying that to a kid. You I have know. to earn your food. Right. Well, we kind of start to do that, right? Like yes. the behavior and things Absolutely. like that. Like yes. We start to incentivize around it. Yep. Like yep. you can go get whiteies yes. <laughs> if you do this, yes. that, you know, yes. the other thing. Yeah. And, and I think whiteies is a great is a great, wonderful thing. <laughs> yes, and I is. think it is as long as we're hearing our internal cue that says, I would really like the experience. Mm -hmm. Of a pumpkin shake. Yeah. Because exactly. it is pumpkin shake season. Yes, it is. Let's be clear about yep, that. Yes. Um, <clears throat> so, but also know when to stop. Exactly. You know? I've actually learned about certain things, things that used to feel like a binge to me. Right. Because the most accurate uh, predictor of binging is restriction. If you want mm -hmm. to know if you're going to binge on something, restrict it first. That's, there is multiple longitudinal studies that will show you that, mm -hmm. okay? Yep. That's the way our brain works. That makes sense. So if you want to make sure you're going to binge on something, consider it, consider it off limits. Mm -hmm. What I've learned over time is I've given myself permission to eat anything I want. I know that scares people right. because they've been so restricted for so long. Yeah. Your body is profoundly wise and wants you to stay alive. Yeah, it does. Exactly. And yeah. if you hear it, it will tell you when to stop. Mm -hmm. But we're just, in fact, if you look at the way kids eat before we intervene, mm -hmm. they know how to do it. They know when to eat when they're hungry. They know when to stop when they're full. Right. It's when we start to project all of our own fear about what's going to happen to their body because we're afraid of them being fat. That's really what this is about. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's when the hunger and fullness cues get all scrambled for us. Mm -hmm. And then we spend the rest of our lives asking someone else to tell us how much to eat and what to eat and when to eat. Right. Or an app to tell us. Or an app. Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've nailed it. Or it, journal. Yeah. It, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, yep, too. So. It is. Big time. Anytime there's money, you should question the motive. Right. You right. Know? So how many years ago was that when you were sitting in your car? Yeah, it was... Um, Actually, right about now in 2017. Okay, so it's been two years. Two years, yeah. Wow. In fact, I think it was probably this month. And I went home, and I didn't, I mean, I didn't say, let's have a multi-platform yeah, exactly, right. no. online experience, yeah. you know? What I said was, I need, I, that name came to me right away. And then I said, I need a platform for my blog so I can write. Mm -hmm. And then and then I realized it wasn't just a solo or an aria, right? right. I was like, it's a chorus. How do I get more people to the chorus? Yep. And that's really probably in this next year where I really want to focus. Um, I really want to focus less consumption of the content, which they can consume all day long. Of course. But then more engagement of now you come to the table and tell me. Right. Like you said, it's not about how many downloads you get. Don't care. Or listens or anything like that or clicks. Don't care. Yeah. Which is a great message in itself. I also <laughs> tell, anybody. yeah, it right. is. I also tell people often, I don't, 
want followers. I want people who will create this movement with me. Creators. Create with me. Yeah. Because I, if I could create it on my own, if any of us could, we would have already done it. Right. Because I know after sitting across from as many women as I've sat across from, we are actually tired of shrinking. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us is tired of it. Well, that's what I was going to say about this generation, maybe mm -hmm. our mother's generation. You yeah. Know, they were still, it was the shrinking to fit the mold. Absolutely. And I think our generation, the cool thing, the reason why this podcast is starting, the reason why yours is working and, ge and generating curiosity and yeah. getting people who are like, I want to keep talking about this because our generation, I feel like, is the changing generation for all this. Me too. And hopefully that means that our daughters. Me too. But even our sons will look at their That's sisters so important. and their wives yep. in a different way too. I really do believe that we need to have the male voice and perspective in every single woman kind of topic. And I think so too. It's always, um, so I have two sons. Yeah. And so sometimes I worry if this hyper-focus on the, 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 the story of women mm -hmm. is somehow leaving them out. And, um, but, but what they're doing is participating in some way. So I have a 13-year-old. He's mm -hmm. my youngest. He has, he's always had some, really what, what we would call it is internalized fat phobia in himself, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he was like seven, and he went on some sort of strange restrictive diet where he started doing crunches every night because yeah. he wanted abs. I mean, oh, and then I yeah. realized it and I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, you have to yeah. eat and you're seven and uh -huh. your body's fine, you know? So even, yeah, it's not just women no. who get the message. Right. So one of the things that's always been hard for him, particularly as I started to use the word fat to describe my body, because I mean it as a descriptor. Mm -hmm. It's like curly hair, blue eyes. It, it is not an indictment on my character, right? Right. It, it describes tissue on my body and the fact that I carry more of that than other people, right. right? So as I started using that word, Gabe's first reaction was like, stop saying that about yourself. Right. And so we would have these conversations about what the word actually means, you know? So we've done a lot of that. And then a couple months ago, we were driving in the car. I actually wrote about this. Yes, I love this story. Yeah, so we're driving in the car and I went to shift gears and he goes, you've got fat fingers. <laughs> and, and it was hilarious because... I felt this heat yeah. rise up in me. Right, like the this, old. Yeah, this the old response mm -hmm. old of response. that's mean. How could you say that to yep. me? And he's a, this kid is hyperintuitive. <laughs> so he looks at me and he goes, what, mom? I thought that fat wasn't a bad word. You're right. He's, and he's so right through Oh, you. my gosh. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. It's their challenge testing you. Totally. How, how much you've learned. <laughs> totally. So, and I think it's funny that I have zero resistance to you describing my body as fat, but something about you've got fat fingers was like, I wasn't prepared. It was yeah. triggering. And so I put the car in park. It was, it was super triggering. triggering of a lifetime of that word meaning mm -hmm. something besides just being a descriptor. Right. And so I sat with it for a second and I think, I actually thanked him. You know, I was like, you're absolutely right. Like it, you're right. Mm -hmm. And I, I explained to him why, um, I actually had somebody who interviewed me for a podcast, ask the question, she was trying to teach her own son about how to use the word. And she's like, so I want him to understand that fat's a neutral word, but I also don't want him to walk up to people in large bodies on the street and say, hey, you've got a fat body. Right, right? exactly, yeah. So the thing I told her is the thing I told Gabe. I said, it is a neutral descriptor, but you have to remember that contextually it's been used to hurt people. Exactly, for years, ever. decades, ever, forever. Ever, forever. 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 That we know of. Yes, right? of course. So I said, there is, there has to be, particularly if you're in a thin body, you have to have some sensitivity to the fact that it hasn't been used neutrally yeah. ever. Mm -hmm. And so it was like a light bulb. So my point is, I'm not leaving them out of the conversation. Right. Um, but I, I am 
definitely hyper-focused on that invitation to women to take up space because I think, I think men naturally feel invited. Mm-hmm. And I'm not necessarily talking about body image, but I do really, I watch men operate in the world, and I'm not saying all men. No, of course. I'm talking about a generality around the gender. Mm-hmm. I just think there's more space at the table, naturally, for a man to sit there yeah. than there is for women. I think women, even when we get to the table, whatever that table might be, yep. we get smaller when we get there. Yeah. Because yeah. we sense that there's just this tiny little spot for us. Yeah, getting to the table is just the first part. Oh my gosh, There's a yeah. lot that needs to happen once yes. we're there. Now spread out and yeah. speak up exactly. and maybe be I- emotive, God forbid. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's like where our power is, our yeah. intuition and our emotions, and we're constantly silencing them. And if we think that isn't related to this idea that we shrink our bodies and we're wrong, mm-hmm. there it's it's all one big pile of shrinking. Yes, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. I have so many words about I know, all of it. I know, but I love that. I love it. Let's, like, like you say, put the words out there. Put it into existence. Yes. Because we need to. We need to start having these kinds of different conversations and challenging our realities. We do need to challenge been, it. What we've been growing up I with. actually have, I've been thinking since I saw that Instagram post last week about what I want to do, how I want, how do I want, do I want to respond directly to the person who put this message out into the world that obese people tend not to be outside. Right. And the truth is I do want to say something, and I probably will, once I've processed my own triggered pain around it. Yes. Because how that translates then to a person in a, quote, obese body, unquote, is they think I don't go outside. And then that's so counter counterintuitive to my experience that I end up in this circle of, like, this is what people think about me, and it's not true, and what do I do with all of that, mm-hmm. right? So I think that it is important that we are at least sensitive in the conversation, but willing to have the conversation. Yes, exactly. Because we've got to have the conversation. Yeah. One of the stories I tell often when I sit in an, in any sort of interview is, um, do you remember the movie What Women Want with yeah. Mel Gibson? Yeah, okay. uh-huh. yep. Where do you he know like, falls over while putting on pantyhose? Yes. Yes. It's actually a great <laughs> movie. Like, yes, it's a great movie. It's super he's insightful. Got the brain of a woman. Yes. Yeah. So when he's first discovering that he now can hear women, mm-hmm. he's jogging through Central Park. Do you remember yes. this scene? Yes. And he comes across this. He's running um, against this crowd of women who are running together in a pack, and he can hear everything they're thinking. Like it's like chaos. And everything they're thinking is, I wish I wouldn't have said that at that party. I wonder what they think of me. And then there's one woman who's thinking, um, one piece of toast, 45 calories, one pat of butter, 15 calories. I love that scene because I would love to create a world or a movement where just take 50% of that mental energy that you're spending on thinking about shrinking and apply it to any other thing in the world yeah. and watch the world change. Mm-hmm. Right. But because we're spending 85% of our time thinking about how we can get smaller, mm-hmm. that leaves 15% for the actual stuff we're here to do. Yeah, the real work that we need to do. Correct. And the real change that we can make. Absolutely. It's powerful thoughts. It is. It needs to, that power needs to be pointed in a different just direction. Just redirect it. Exactly. Yeah, and the way we do that is by, is by giving permission f- for ourselves and for each other to take up space in whatever form that looks like. Yeah, absolutely well said. That's beautiful. Thanks. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So uh, aside from the beautiful project, you know, this has kind of now become like your full-time gig. Yeah, like I'm your getting there. Pad. You're getting there, I'm which getting is really there. exciting. Yeah. What were you doing before that, though? Kind of sure. share just kind of like your, your work experience, your life experience sure. before this amazing like revelation a couple of years ago. So in 2016, I left a career in corporate healthcare. I'd been there for a decade. It was an extraordinary career that taught me um, a lot about how to manage and develop a business. 
I'm very grateful for the experience, and it's also a very difficult industry um, that can burn you out pretty quickly. Sure. So for me, what happened is I started practicing yoga at the same time, really for fitness, not even for like meditation or calmness. Mm -hmm. uh, what I discovered is I wasn't breathing, like literally was not breathing. I have that job. with yoga too. Yeah. I breathe during poses. And I'm like, that's like the hardest part is to breathe during yoga. Oh, breathing Isn't is, it? it is. It's everything. Well, once you, and what happens for me, the transition was once I started to breathe in poses, I started to realize all the other places I was holding my breath. Yeah. And I was holding my breath at work Ooh. all the time. And I worked like 65 hours a week. So um, in 16, I I just decided to leave and I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Um, I had a lot of PTO because there's no time to take time off in <laughs> corporate healthcare. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I was going to live on that, counting on the, the fact that I was employable and I could go wait tables if I had to. Sure. I just knew, <laughs> I knew not this anymore. I just knew it. Yeah. So uh, at the same time, there was a nonprofit organization being founded. I always think there's such beautiful serendipity to the story. So I resigned on leap day of 2016. <laughs> I didn't really mean for it to be leap day, <laughs> right. but I think it's sort of but beautiful. You left. I did. I left. That's what happened. <laughs> um, in that same month, this nonprofit was being founded. So the name of the nonprofit is Leader. Uh, it's a local nonprofit that connects women with experienced leaders to fuel their career and community engagement. And it's Leader with an H in yes, there. Yes, Lead Her. her. Yes, mm -hmm. we love, I love that. Me too. <laughs> um, so I saw this job posted June or July that year for an executive director. I sat with them. Uh, they told me they had five people who might want to be involved in an idea and they had one $10,000 check to pay me, and when that was gone, well. Then what? Then yeah. what, right? Yeah. So they asked if we wanted, if I wanted to help them create this, and the answer was yes. And so we have been creating that program for three years, which is extraordinary. So in three years, Leader has put together nearly, uh, we're actually now nearly at 400 women with experienced leaders in the community. Amazing. It is amazing. Yeah, I love it. I'm one of the... She is. She's one of an incredible, incredible experience. Very fulfilling. You know what's neat about Leader? Um, well, a lot of things are neat about yes. Leader. Um, but one of the things that I, I really love is that it isn't solely focused on professional or career advancement. Right. Yeah, um, it's not that kind of networking group. Nope. It's not about that. Which I think is really where its magic lies. Yeah. So, again, kind of harnessing that idea of what makes women powerful, it is our relational ability. It's our ability to connect to each other. And so as we've developed the program, we've taken great care to make sure that it is connective and not uh, not competitive. Right. And and I I think that that is really where the magic has, has sort of centered. And it has sincerely created a group of women, an enormous group of women, who in most cases have each other's back. Yeah. Are can. willing to be there to share their experience for the benefit of another person. And even just that kind of energy, creating that kind yeah, of energy. Putting that in the room. It's good stuff. It's it always good stuff. Oh my gosh, the energy is insane. It is. I actually, <laughs> so I'm introverted. People don't know this about me. Sometimes the insane energy at those <laughs> events, by like 15 minutes in, I'm like, can I just step outside right, for a yeah, second? It's yeah. so much, but not bad so much. Just right. like this tidal wave of, um, I think it really comes from a deep sense of longing. I think we are longing for connection. Mm -hmm. And I think when we find it, there's just a lot of enthusiasm yeah. about that, right? We're <laughs> exactly. like, oh my gosh, this is real. It exists. Mm -hmm. So Leader has been an extraordinary journey. I am still with them um, in the executive director capacity, but it is my hope in 2020 uh, to transition my work to be primarily focused on the beautiful project, on amplifying that message, 
on um, increasing our visibility and our, I said I don't want, fo- I don't want followers, right. but people who are engaging with the content. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's a totally different, yes. know, different mindset. <laughs> yes. And a good mindset. I, I want to be have. very yes, particular about course. that. Um, and, and really taking this message outside of our local community because our local community has been so incredibly receptive and curious and enthusiastic about it. Um, but I also think it belongs, well, everywhere. Yeah. There are women. Everywhere right. there are women. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just a, it's not just a Quad City thing. It's not, it's no. It's not a Quad City no. issue. But I love that it's here and it's being born here and Thank cultivated you. here. Me too. Yeah, I think Me you're too. doing amazing things with it. Thank you. So um, we've got our questions here that we always ask our guests. Okay. And one of them, I mean, is a pretty pretty easy one for you. It's how did being a woman factor into your story? Oh my I gosh. Mean, it, it matters. It de- definitely matters that. It's my core. Ex- exactly. It's the core experience. Right. If I think about when I was climbing the corporate ladder and yeah. I, I mean, oh, yeah. it, I think it's important to say that I climbed the corporate ladder very quickly. Mm-hmm. I went from a frontline position to director of outpatient services in just shy of 10 years. So you don't do that in that kind of environment by channeling all of who you are as a woman. In fact, what you do is you shift to adopt maybe more masculine strategies. Right. Right? Yeah. And so I have had the experience of doing that and doing that successfully and having such a deep sense of disconnection with myself that I couldn't breathe. Right. That, yeah, by doing that, by figuring out that strategy, it disconnected you. From totally. You. Wow, I never thought about that. So all of my work since then has actually been around reconnecting to who I am as a woman and then, and then connecting to the women around me, mm-hmm. right, in a way that, that shifts how we understand ourselves. Right, so that women don't have to climb the ladder no. by having to disconnect with them, their exactly. parts. I think we change, when I talked about moving our mental energy, I think we change corporations the second that we say, I'm going to lead like a woman. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust empirical data, but I'm also going to trust my intuition. Yeah, my gut. My gut tells mm-hmm. me this because, man, do we bring that to the table. Right. Or I'm going to, to trust um, the fact that I can be emotive, and it doesn't mean I have failed somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, you watch women... Gosh, there was a thing recently. I'm going to mess this up, but it was tennis, and I think it was Serena Williams. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. And, oh, no, the, it, it was the, I, well, anyway, it was a some sort of tennis yeah. situation. <laughs> okay? Sports. Yeah, sport. Here we are. Yeah, the sports guys are dying right <laughs> I now. Know, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so one of the women had lost, and she was super emotional. It was this, it wasn't Serena Williams. It was this young, she's like 14. She's oh, some sort yeah, of phenom. Like, yes, like the prodigy. Yes. yes like this, mm-hmm. just this recent, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So she now had lost in a, in a major match, mm-hmm. and her competitor came over, and, and actually they had, you know, she was the hope. Everyone had wanted her to win, the younger one, right? And so she had lost, and her competitor came over to her and said, come interview with me. And and she's like, I can't, I'm crying. That was her first thing. And this woman invited her and said, you're still okay crying. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We have so worked to climb the ladder in the only way we saw uh, that we could, Mm -hmm. which was by moving all of that. And I don't know, I, like the more that I lean into my vulnerability and my truth and emotions and my emotions, yeah. the more I see other people were craving that kind of connection. So I think that 
I think that to lead like a woman with all of the things that make us different from men is actually exactly what makes us powerful. Yeah. I hate apologizing for being oh, like an emotional person. Me too. Right? And wearing my emotions on my sleeves. Yes. You know? And it always is followed with like, sorry, I wear my emotions on my sleeves. Yeah, always. You know. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever noticed how often women apologize in general. Oh, exactly, yeah. The grocery store makes me insane. Like, yeah. stop apologizing. You're not in my way. Mm -hmm. Even when I'm writing an email to yeah. somebody, yeah. The, the way I write it is different. Uh huh. I'll write it the way I think that you write it, and <laughs> yeah. I'll look back and be like, no, take out, just wanted to let you know, or sorry for bothering you, or mm. all those things. I That's think so that, insightful. But but it wasn't that always that way. Right. I think that as we get older, we certainly, yep. and, lear and learning that we want to be part of this change in a culture and yep. change in a generation, that I want my future daughter or son one day not to feel like exactly. they have to apologize for feeling anything. Exactly. Yeah. And I want men to invite women to the table with all of who they are. Yeah, exactly in big bodies with big emotions yeah. and big ideas. Mm -hmm. Invite women to the table that way. And I promise, I promise it will change. In a, in, and not just in a, this idea that our soft skills just translate to a better culture. They actually translate to a better bottom line too. Yes, they do. So, there, are, there are studies that Totally, that. yes. Yeah. Like there's one that I quote often about um, the percentage of women you have on your leadership team and the increase in innovation revenue. And it is it is an enormous jump. Mm -hmm. So once your leadership team goes from 15% to 25% women, your innovation revenue jumps by 80%. Wow, 80. And it all, <laughs> all we had to do was move it 10%. Like you added yeah. one woman. Yeah, exactly. Right? So imagine what you would do mm -hmm. with, I don't know. Half and half. Half and half. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see. Yeah, I don't know about too. you, but yeah. we'll see. I hope that we are still alive when me that too. is the culture, the new culture. Me too. Um, what is a Wonder Woman to you, Sarah? What's you know, a that is a, it's a, I've thought about this question. <laughs> I was like, get ready. I know. <laughs> this question's coming. No, it's a good, it's a great question. Um, so one of the things that is disconnecting for me over the last couple of years is as my visibility grows, mm -hmm. And you can probably relate to some of this, I'll bet. Um, there's this thing that happens where people, because they've listened to your pod or they've seen you on TV or sure. whatever the thing is, right, where it's distancing and they think, they, I think this culture tends to put people on a pedestal, right? Yeah. So like, here's the things that make me so extraordinary. And what that does, not only does it distance me on the pedestal, and I hate that, actually. Mm -hmm. I don't want, I'm not... Um, I, there's no part of me that wakes up in the morning and goes, I'm better at this than everybody else, right? right? No. Um, so that pedestal is really, really disconnecting because what I think is that a Wonder Woman is a woman who knows herself mm -hmm. in her ordinary experience. Like, if I think about what I've done, quote unquote, mm -hmm. in the last few years that has increased my visibility or amplified my voice, it's that I have been 1,000% committed to knowing myself. Yeah. And then once I know it, I tell people about it. Yeah. That's it. Mm -hmm. And you're not faking anything. Nope. Yeah. I did a really great job faking a lot of things <laughs> for a very long time. Fake it to make it. Absolutely. Which is crap. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> Total crap. Yeah. Um, so a Wonder Woman, I think, is a woman who has committed to knowing herself um, and understanding that her ordinary truth is extraordinary. It yeah. is her superpower. Yeah. Your superpower is knowing yourself. Mm -hmm. It is not something different. It is not somebody who has a quarter million followers on Instagram. It is not somebody who gets hundreds of likes on their posts. 
an influencer. It's not an influencer, dear God. <laughs> I know. That's a different podcast. Yeah, that's a different podcast. Yeah. Man, influencer culture, I think, yeah. is just cutting us off at our knees, and it's also total crap. That's the flip side of, you know, we're feeling all this motivation and yep. getting excited to maybe change a culture. Whereas on the flip side, there's this other culture that's it growing is. and growing. It is growing. And it's uh, also profit motivated. Right, and I exactly. think it's important that people remember that. You get to influencer status. What that means is you get paid to market things. Mm -hmm. You're just a billboard. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be dismissive. Those people work hard too. Mm -hmm. Some do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, the billboard's fine. It amplifies a message. Uh, I just think that the message, regardless of who it is, needs to be connected to knowing yourself, to trusting yourself, um, to giving yourself grace to make mistakes. Mm. I think I those like those are the things that, that create superpower, yeah. right? I think yeah. our superpower really is in our raw, real vulnerability. Well, and doesn't that just bring it back to the beginning of our conversation was yeah. just getting in touch with yourself, with your body. Absolutely. Mind, body, and spirit. It, you yep. know? And that's when the magic really, really happens. Like yep. you said, the superpower. Yeah. I love that. All right, our last question is, what's your advice for the next generation of the mm. girl power movement? So we've talked about your daughter. Ooh. You know, we've talked about your sons, too, even, yeah. as part of this. And about, you know, these, this idea of doing love letters, you know, yeah. to our daughters and to this next generation. So I think we've touched on it a little bit. But what is your advice? I, um... There's so many things. I've said a lot. I've said a lot of the things. So mm -hmm. all of those things and. And. Um, I really think that there's an enormous amount of magic in the realization that you are already whole. You're already full. Yep. You already are. And and what's ha what happens when you wake up in the morning and then engage, usually with what's on your phone, you are then put into this path of... I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. That's right. all you see, right? Yeah. Compared to your friends, compared to influencers, mm -hmm. compared to what you're going to be told you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how big your accounts are or any of them, your yep. Instagram account or your bank account, there is a perpetual and pervasive sense of not enoughness in this culture. Mm. And it's because we have so disconnected from here, from our inside, from our gut, to know that I'm already full. Mm -hmm. I'm already whole. I'm already enough. Yeah. And I don't have to be fixed. Mm -hmm. So the second you really start to lean into the idea that you don't need to be fixed, I swear to you, everything shifts. Mm -hmm. Everything shifts. Everything from the way that you understand your relationships with your family, to your partnership, to your work. If you're approaching that with, I am already enough. Mm -hmm. um, so the faster I can give that, away and I work really hard on giving that away in my family and my kids yeah. um, sometimes to external criticism because I don't engage in a competitive environment of like keep achieving keep achieving keep achieving right. I'm not interested I'm interested in the fullest expression of who those people are in and of themselves and that may or may not look like achievement and I really don't care yeah I want I want to be around as many whole human beings who know that they're whole as I can yeah I think that's beautiful. Thanks. That's great. Beautiful. Yeah, it is. Perfect. It is. Thank you so much for yeah. spending 
your time and bringing this space, making this space full with me today. Thank you I for really, asking. I really, really appreciate me this. Too. Yes. Me too. All right. So you can find more information about the beautiful project on our website, wqad.com. I'll put all the links there for you to uh, check out Sarah and her wonderful work. Just click the podcast tab at the top of our homepage. We've got so many awesome podcasts, but I hope you'll scroll down just a little bit. Look for that big yellow W, Wonder Woman. That's what we're all about. And I hope that you will uh, tune in for our next episode and all of our previous episodes as well. All right. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Wonder Woman. Ladies out.